I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. We're coming to you from the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for April 1st, 2016, and today we're talking about belief and interpretation. All right, so last time we, um, in talking about Star Trek, Star Trek, not Star Wars, Star Trek, very clearly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen the new Star Wars as of this date. Maybe you have. This has been released like months in well, the future. as of recording. And you and I are going to go see it. Like It starts in 20 minutes. So We almost blew off <laughs> recording for Star Wars. We're going to go right now. All right. <laughs> so we'll do this episode later. We're done. <laughs> anyway, last time we were talking about um, uh, Star Trek and Utopias and sort of uh, metaphorical, mythological depictions of other worlds and the future and whatnot. And... Uh, sort of raises this question about whether or not you have to believe literally all the stuff in, in Pure Land Buddhism, right? And and some people want to um, sort of dismiss that as the kinds of things that people certainly couldn't believe in today because they're modern and this is all traditional mythology. So, so, you know, clearly I think maybe we should just pause for a second and be honest about the fact that within Pure Land Buddhism there are some things that are kind of hard to take at face value, right? I mean, if you look at the the basic narrative core myth, if you want to call it that, of Pure Land Buddhism, you know, there's this Bodhisattva who lived thousands of eons before the historical Buddha Shakyamuni, made a bunch of vows, and those the basis of those vows were that when he becomes enlightened, he's going to create his own pure realm or Buddha realm or um, pure land. Um, that exists in, a, in an actual physical location that's um, to the west of our world, and it's measured out in a very specific unit of measurement, which, you know, it's... Well, hyperbolic... A, a hyperbolic. Specificity. <laughs> hyperbolic specificity, right? Um, millions and millions of kotis of uncalculable distances away, but nevertheless, in a specific direction, right? Like, it has some sort of specific specificity to it. Um, and... I think most importantly for the purposes of um, many forms of Pure Land Buddhism, the idea that all you need to do is a very simple practice in order to be reborn in his realm after you die. And then once you're there, you can become a Buddha very, very easily. And that practice is usually the recitation of the Buddha's name um, in one form or another. And as you mentioned, like on the one hand, this sort of just sounds like a paradise kind of heaven, and it seems like the kind of thing that's like a pre-modern sort of traditional mythology that's hard to just sort of take at face value. And yeah, I think that's a kind of a thing that we should sort of acknowledge that's that's there, right? Like it's a it's a story that's part of our tradition, and what do we do with that? And it seems to me that um, we are sort of in a moment where people either wholeheartedly reject it. Right, as purely symbolic or purely metaphorical, or um, or just reject it completely and say we're just doing general Buddhism, yeah, or something, right? Like, we're just not going to deal with it, or the opposite of extreme of accepting uh, accepting it in a very literal kind of way, in a sort of um, uh, fundamentalist kind of way, Mm -hmm. as no, 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 the Amitabha Buddha is an actual being who actually exists in actual space. And, you know, you do these practices and you can actually come into contact with him in a very literal kind of way. 
Um, and I use the term fundamentalism here just in that sort of uh, shallow sense of the word, not in a more nuanced kind of way, but just sort of to say, sort of taking the text at face value without. Yeah. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What do you do with that? Quit looking at me like that. <laughs> well, I think we've mentioned before, um, there was a um, great article in Pacific World, and I can't remember the author, but he was talking about different forms of Chinese Pure Land. Um, more recent, actually, like maybe even modern period, like late 19th century. Charles Jones? Possibly. I don't have the issue. I mean, we didn't research. We'll put it in the... the um, Doobly-doo. The blurb. Um, but pointing out that in Chinese Buddhism, there's kind of two versions of Pure Land, the mind-only mm-hmm. Pure Land and the Western Direction Pure Land, which sounds like what you're talking about. Right. right? right. And one is the idea that this is the Pure Land. We're, it's already here. You just have to realize it. Right? It's mind-only. It's, it's all, all your perception. Right? And then the Saiho or Western Direction Pure Land is this more literal reading of it. Um, yeah, it's in the Western Direction. We can look to that as a concrete... Yeah. And it's interesting because I think the mind only one is sort of like kind of where people start or something. There's like, there's this sense of like, oh, you know, there's this other interpretation where it's not this literal place where you go to after you die, but it's sort of like the pure land is here now. If we just, you know, cleanse the perceptions or purify the perceptions or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that somehow like quickly changes into the sort of metaphorical reading. Right, mm. where it's sort of that, and and I would kind of argue that the sort of mind only interpretation of pure land is neither one of these extremes, and yet I feel as though the mind only interpretation has been sort of co opted into the metaphorical, psychologized mm. aspect, right? Mm. Where it's like this okay. world we live in now is the pure land, and it's only uh, um, through the fault of our faulty perceptions or a messed up psychology or something else that we need to sort of fix in order for us to realize that we're in the pure land, which is, um, I think a sort of rejection of traditional mythology and sort of a more modernist psychologization of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. But I think in its original interpretation, the mind only one was not quite that. It was something Uh else. I like that. It was something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right, because a mind-only one can be kind of out there, yeah, and fantastical, yeah. But it's quickly switched into it's just a symbol, right? Me- metaphorical. There's nothing beyond the chemicals and the atoms and everything, and that this this reality that we science seems to have revealed to us is really all there is. And so Buddhism, we can look at as symbolic of something, right? Um, which yeah, doesn't seem to be the same. One of my favorite mind-only stories is. Uh, Korean monk, and I can't remember if it's what Wonhyo or or some you know Korean master, and um, he was traveling to China and, on a boat, and they got shipwrecked, and um, so he's he's like one of the only survivors. I'm, I'm probably messing up the details, but the part I remember is he, you know he he gets to land and it's dark and it's like a cave, but he finds this like um, a cup and this pure water, and he drinks it, and he's able to send. Um, um, quenches thirst and then goes to sleep and he wakes up and he realizes it's bones he's like kind of in like a area where there's all these dead bodies and he it was like a skull that he thought was a wonderful bowl and it was like brackish water and he like throws up and then the person he's with is like what are you doing it's all mind only it is ambrosia (laughs) right whoa i mean it's out there right he's like faced with the reality and yet the answer is no it's still mind only Mm mm-hmm 
right? It's still, that is the, you know, your mind teaching, whether it's teaching him about his mind or whatever, you know, but, um, you know, but so when he drank it, was it, and he didn't throw up when he drank it. In a, in a rationalist view, you would think, oh, I found water, bleh. But he drinks it and it's pure water in his mind as he's drinking it um, and then finds that in the daytime it's something different. So anyway, I, I love that story because it's out there. It, it goes beyond what we expect, you know, yeah, and I think yeah, that yeah. that's maybe what some of the, I think sometimes, and I'm probably guilty of it too, but a lot of times we get, we take the answer that is easiest, you know, and that seems to, um, yeah, that fits what I believe and so good. That's, that's what I'm going to believe. Right. It's like, I think Buddhism pushes you beyond that. Um, and if it's something that you can just accept easily, then maybe that's not everything it's trying to tell you. Uh, and that, uh, you know, there's, there's keep going, right? But, but have your um, assumptions tested, right? How to, um, to push us beyond um, the, the way we think that things are. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a fundamentalist sometimes in the sense that you were saying. I've been, certainly been accused of it um, really? during my student years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who accused you of being a fundamentalist? A fellow student. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, students, what do they know? <laughs> I'm kidding. Myself included. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> um, but I, I just got kind of sick of people, like, picking and choosing. And maybe I was doing it too, but, you know, just like... Um, I don't think we can just throw away the parts we don't like and keep the parts that we do like, um, that we have to kind of wrestle with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was kind of like this person wanted to be Jodo Shinshu, but they didn't like Jodo Shinshu, <laughs> right? And they wanted to incorporate all this other stuff. And it was like, but that's not the system. And so there's kind of, I don't know, there's a fine line between um, being fundamentalist and being a free-for-all, yeah. I think, or maybe the extremes. Or maybe, yeah. Um, and that somewhere in the middle, but, you know, kind of um, on one level accepting the teachings at face value and on another level being able to totally criticize them, critique them. Right. So I think I want to push this a little bit more and say that, you know, it's for me not just a question of, I mean, we could spend this whole episode talking about fundamentalism and what that means and what it means to, you know, adhere to a particular belief and or doctrinal interpretation or whatnot. Um, but I think that another part of this that we often sort of gloss over is um, the the methods by which we do interpretation, mm-hmm. which can also be a kind of fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm riffing here, so I might deny all this next week. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, to me, it seems as though that one of the ways in which we approach the study of Buddhism is inherently like indebted to multiple sort of worldviews, right? Um, and um, certainly we can say that we approach the study of Buddhism from a particular um, religious or sectarian point of view, but we also, those of us who are studying Buddhism in the United States or in the West more generally, study Buddhism from the point of view of Western academia, which has a certain bias to it, right? And sometimes those biases are explicit and sometimes they're implicit, right? So explicit biases might be um, a concern for um, empirical um, truth claims or, or arguments or, or validation, right? That we'll only accept something as true as if it's empirically verifiable. And generally that means that, you know, more than one person knows that it's true because they've observed it, right? Sort of a classic scientific perspective. <clears throat> but also um, the implicit ones, I think, are we, we're oftentimes implicitly sort of um, influenced by a sort of Protestant Christian bias, 
which interprets texts in a particular way. And a modern, uh, particularly Protestant Christian, way of interpreting texts is to interpret them as literal stories of things that actually happened. Um, or the sort of search for the historical Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Or as um, actual descriptions of things that actually happened. And you have to believe them in a certain way um, in order to consider yourself a member of that faith tradition, right? Like if you don't believe in these stories in, 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 in the appropriate way, um, then you're not really a member of our of our group, right? And that's kind of a bias, a sort of methodological bias in in how we read religious texts, right? So, like when we, as non Christians, go and read the Pure Land Sutras, are we reading them like Protestant Christians? Mm -hmm. Are we looking for um, empirical truths of actual events, or are we reading them? in a different way. I think that's an important question because mm -hmm. alternately we could read them, um, you know, like we watch Star Trek. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to go back to what we were talking about last week, mm -hmm. we could read these texts not as, oh, this is something that's like an historical record or as something that we have to make a decision about whether we accept it as actually true in some sort of empirically verifiable way, but as a narrative text that has some sort of um, uh, a morality play, right? A sort of uh, meaning that goes beyond the literal meaning of the words. Mm -hmm. um, and when you approach text from that point of view, I think you open up different possibilities mm -hmm. that sort of free you from worrying too much about, well, you know, there's this real person who really existed, and then you can sort of get into the sort of the, the meat of it and say, well, what is, what is this trying to tell me, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's, you know, quote unquote, literally true? Mm -hmm. What can I get from this, right? You know, um, you know. I don't think anybody really believes that that Dagobah is a real place that exists in a galaxy far, far away. And yet, how many people will quote "Do or do not, there is no try," <laughs> right? Like that's something that has some sort of meaning and value for a lot of people. That's sort of divorced from this question of like literalness or reality, mm -hmm. and yet it still has some meaning. Right. It sort of helps orient people mm -hmm. in how they live their lives, mm -hmm. even if it's you know. A Muppet. <laughs> it's a Muppet, I'm sorry. <laughs> Frank Oz, come on. <laughs> yeah, and that was, I think, after I got into Buddhism, and, you know, I loved um, Star Wars when I was a kid, and um, but I kind of felt like it seems like a lot of, and it's, it, it seemed to happen more in the 90s was my, just my impression, or maybe it was just because I worked at a bookstore so I saw it more, but this kind of like valorization of the wisdom of Star Wars. Yeah. You know, and that um, there, the Star Wars had so much wisdom in it. It had wisdom of the world. I mean, that's partly also um, Joseph Campbell, kind of the Joseph Campbell connection with Star Wars and that George Lucas seemed to be kind of rewriting classic myths in the science fiction um, guise for the 20th century kind of thing, you know. And maybe that's part of it, but part of it to me too was like, but it's not real. And not I don't mean real and like it really happened, but how much truth can really come out of George Lucas? Is George Lucas really like a prophet for the way we should live our lives? Um, whereas to me, as a Buddhist fundamentalist, I kind of felt like, but Buddhism has truth in it. Yeah. Right, that Buddhist, the, the Buddha, awakened to truth and taught it. Right. Right? I mean, that was kind of like the, I can which might Which might be an arbitrary distinction you're making. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, and our society has changed so much that um, 
maybe people like George Lucas or um, well, n- no, like, not to say that George Lucas is like is Buddha. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> What I mean to say is that, you know, if there is some sort of like universal like truth or wisdom in the world, then presumably that universal truth or wisdom can be expressed in any manner of locations. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a logical consequence of holding to that idea that there's a, some sort of universal truth. If you believe uh-huh. that there's a universal truth, then you have to also sort of buy into the idea that that can be revealed in any manner of locations. And then when you make distinctions between different locations of where that truth comes from, mm-hmm. then there's a certain arbitrariness in that distinction. See, this is where you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you have to, then you have to verify. See, I'm you, a postmodern You have to at least recognize that you're imbuing one source of authority with more authority than another source Not of authority. Necessarily. I, I'm going to ask you to. I'm a postmodern fundamentalist. <laughs> <laughs> See, You're I kind a of, nerd. <laughs> no, I, can, I kind of accept that um, I feel like Buddhism is the truth. Uh-huh. And yet, maybe there are multiple truths. I don't think that truth is universal or one. Right. I am not questioning whether or not Buddhism has any truth to it. I'm, I'm merely asking the question of why this particular source of truthiness is more valid than some other source of truthiness. Because it's a filmmaker versus a spiritual seeker. <laughs> hey, man, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which is an arbitrary distinction. Like, why, mm-hmm. why a 5th century BCE, you know, homeless person is, why is that a source of spiritual truth and validation and not mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell? Mm. Right, like that—that's the question, and I'm not saying that <laughs> because I'm not a—I'm not a fan necessarily of perennialist ideas about universal wisdom or whatever else. I'm not—I'm not suggesting that we should all go, you know, lay down at the altar of George Lucas or anything. Really, I'm really not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it to me. I'm merely have seen the new one twice. <laughs> I'm merely asking the question about why, why we like imbue certain sources of authority as more authoritative than mm-hmm. other sources, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the question. That's mm-hmm. that's what I'm sort of getting at. Mm-hmm. And there, there's perfectly valid, perfectly justifiable reasons for believing or imbuing certain sources of authority with more authority than others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, there's a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm really suggesting is we should be as critical as we are, as we started this episode, as critical as we are um, deconstructing myth and deconstructing stories. And, you know, if you're going to go down the road of saying, oh, I'm going to literally believe this or I'm going to reject it all as mere uh, metaphor in, in, in the embrace of science, you know, that's a sort of critical response to mythology or narrative. We should also be critical to our own interpretive processes. Mm-hmm. We should also be inwardly self-critical and say, well, why is it that I believe this or I don't believe that? Why am I saying that these sources are more valid than these other sources? Mm-hmm. That's I'm just trying to, that's all I'm trying to do. I did not, I did not like the, you know, the new trilogy. I'm not a, a, an <laughs> acolyte of George Lucas. <laughs> but... I mean, I, I think that's an aspect of religion, though, that is different than other things, possibly. And art is one of those things that maybe it may not be so different from. And here I'm speaking very abstractly, but I think that one aspect of religion that seems to happen a lot is that it touches on deeper truths than just physical, material reality, everyday reality. Um, and this is not all religions necessarily, but there's this idea that there is something bigger than this. Mm-hmm. Right? And things like 
Star Wars, Star Trek, Grateful Dead, um, whatever, and we can princesses, rap. I don't know, <laughs> fairy tales, right? That those um, are great, but do they touch on something bigger? I can make the argument that they do, yeah. I think in the sense of art, possibly, but... Yeah, so you know, asking me to rethink in a way, and this I'm talking about 20 years ago. These ideas that I had, yeah, yeah, sure, right, sure, yeah. and yet I think I still kind of do have them. I mean, that was the fallacy of the Grateful Dead was that it was six regular guys with issues, actually, <laughs> right? And <laughs> as much as it created a kind of like traveling nomadic shamanistic community, could you live your life by that? Uh-huh. And when one of them died, what happened? It, it ended. The show ended, right? And that. Um, and that's when you saw burnout hippies. I mean, you saw them before too, but you know, it's like, I used to, when I first moved out to Berkeley in 96, Jerry Garcia just died. You still saw burnout hippies. You don't see them like that anymore. Things have changed, right? It's like that, as much as the music is still here and we can still touch something there, um, it wasn't like a, something you could live your life by. Like, whereas Buddhism, I feel like is, I feel like there is some kind of quantitative difference. Mm-hmm possibly, of, um, you know, what Buddhism is talking about versus what Star Wars is talking about. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, yeah. sure, people can, um, and there is a certain amount of historicity there that, you know, yeah, the Buddha seems to have really existed, and yet there is an ahistoricity to me of the story of Amida Buddha, mm-hmm. and yet I'm a Pure Land Buddhist, so... Right. But, but I feel like the myth of Amida Buddha is touching on something deeper than the myth of Darth Vader. Yeah, and I would and I would piggyback off on that and say that part of that has to do with the context in which it's being told and that it's not sort of in a vacuum, right? Like the myth of Darth Vader is sort of happening in a vacuum. It exists purely within a sort of cinematic experience, right? There's no even even take into consideration, you know, uh Comic-Con and other sort of social events that might happen around science fiction and fantasy media. Um, there's no other context for that, right? It sort of it sort of purely exists in the realm of fiction, so to speak, which is um, maybe. Whereas, you know, the Pure Land mythology exists within a larger context, within an ethical framework, within multiple cosmologies, within um, a whole practice um uh, regimen, right? So there's a whole lot more going on than just that story. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to just sort of lift up the Pure Land story just by itself and divorce it from everything else, then it's just the story of cosmic bodhisattva in another universe, which you know looks an awful lot like a galaxy far, far away, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just sort of divorced from anything else. It just sort of has that sort of um, you know uh, fantasy element to it. But it's not divorced from all of that. It's embedded within this sort of larger religious context, right? Which the Star Wars mythology is not. The Star Trek mythology is not. People, I think, have tried mm-hmm. to sort of create um, a larger world system around these things, and that hasn't happened yet. You know, if you watch Futurama, eventually it will happen, right? Like, eventually, in a thousand years from now, there will be the Church of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not there yet, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that to our listeners to go and you know establish the Church of Star Trek, and then you know we'll come back. And <laughs> we haven't even gotten to um, the Big Lebowski. <laughs> we're, 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 I didn't know we were going there. 
<laughs> no, I found out a friend of mine, his friend, became a Dudist priest. Oh man! He actually became a Dudist priest so he can so he could do a wedding. That bums me out. <laughs> I don't know why, but that bums me out. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with anything, man? <laughs> well, it's a philosophy. Seemingly a philosophy to live your life by. A way to live your life. Yeah. Like the dude. Yeah. Right? Which is not really a way to live your life. It's a way to like avoid your life. <laughs> really. Well, you can still critique it. Yeah, I'm going to critique it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a terrible philosophy to live by. I wonder by. if I could switch from Buddhist minister to Judas minister. Like that would entail. Apparently you can do whatever you want. You're a postmodern fundamentalist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Become a fundamentalist um, Big Lebowski person. Fundamentalist Judaism. Man. <laughs> I wanted to like start the war of religion here against like <laughs> the Dudists and the something else. I'll start my own religion. <laughs> Just to fe- fight back the, the evil power of the Dudists. <laughs> but you know the the Grateful Dead was like like that I kind of mentioned before, it was like that was a a lifestyle for people, certainly. And I think that there was um, spiritual aspects to it and a spiritual experience very shamanistic in a way because there was a lot of um, substances being ingested to help make it happen better I guess um, but you know they went places you know, that was a very tactful way of saying that <laughs> <laughs> really interesting you know and, and people followed it it was like the Pied Piper or something you know and people put their lives on hold or that was their life their life wasn't on hold their life was on hold when the dead weren't on tour mm-hmm. And their life came up, came back when they went on tour so they could go out and be with their friends and, um, you know, trip out to music and uh, do it again the next night and if they could get in and, and stuff. And, sure. You know. And so it was interesting, this kind of... That like, seems like religion to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm going to go see Phil Lesh in a couple weeks. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> We're not doing the. the this, is, um, this is why you're a postmodern fundamentalist yeah, because yeah, you yeah. like are a fundamentalist about like three or four different things right. at the same time. <laughs> you're like Jodo Shinshu, Grateful Dead, yeah. Star Trek, <laughs> Star Wars, bad. 